I'll ask you to read with me from the Gospel of Luke and chapter 23, and we begin our reading at verse 32. Luke 23, beginning to read at verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a very well-known Puritan paperback, which uh, if you can get your hands on it, I'll be glad to encourage you to read it. The title is The Mystery of Providence. Now, it's a, an interesting title because this is something I think all of us are familiar with. Uh, if you look at your own life and examine how you have come to the place where you are in your life today and think about it. For instance, let me give an example. If you think about Martin Luther and his 95 Theses, I imagine to yourself, if he had not gone to that door and pinned those 95 theses, if he had rather decided to keep them to himself, what would have happened? I have always asked myself the question on the September 11th 
is it September 9th, 2001. I was actually traveling from Zambia to go to England. And uh, I've always wondered why I chose that day. I have never come to a good reason why I chose September 11th instead of any other day. In fact, I do recall that when I went to see this agent who was, uh, you know, the one doing the tickets for the airlines, that she gave me those three choices. I think there was a Tuesday, a Wednesday, and a Thursday. And I sort of thought in my mind, and I chose the Tuesday, which was September 11th. I, if I had chosen the next day or the following day, I, I probably would have been delayed uh, for a whole year than that particular specific day that I chose. Or perhaps I, I look back to the first time that I, I met Victoria, my wife. Uh, I was on my way to church, and I decided on this path rather than that path. And I've always wondered what would have happened if I didn't choose the path I chose where I met her and saw her for the first time. And I chose the other one. I'm sure that there are certain events in your life. If you look back, you say to yourself, why did I choose that? What would have happened if I had chosen the other? That's the mystery of providence. Here is a man who has spent his life as a criminal. And finally, the long arm of the Roman law caught up with him. And we are not told all the ins and outs of that justice system, but on this particular day, he was scheduled to be executed. And wonder of all wonders, he was going to be near Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God. Who would have imagined such a thing? Here is a guy who he doesn't care about the law of God. He doesn't care about his background as a Jew. He, in fact, has rebelled against that kind of lifestyle. And he has decided that he is going to be a highwayman. He would waylay people and attack them in those spaces where they least expected him. That was his career. And as I said, finally... The law caught up with him, together with his comrade, and they were locked up. And on this day, it was decided they must be executed. And they were going to be put on a Roman cross 
he was going to be next to this unique man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He could never have anticipated he was going to meet this man. Most likely, while he was a highwayman and a robber, he must have heard of Jesus who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by Satan. He must have heard of his teaching as the one who was able to preach God's word like no man had ever preached it before. He may have heard these reports, but he had never encountered Jesus. And here he is, encountering Jesus just a few hours before he's executed. This is when he is coming first to first with Jesus. Obviously, he is an angry man, as most people who have been given capital punishment are. He's angry with the world. He's angry with everybody else. Except himself. And so, when he hears all these people who are taunting and mocking and speaking ill of Jesus, it is very easy for him to join in. Very easy. Because... He's got this raging anger in his heart. And he has been fastened and secured on that cross. There is not a part of his body that is free except his tongue. And he is going to use it to express that rage that he has against society. So it is very easy for him to join in with that crowd that is mocking the Son of God. That crowd that is insulting the Son of God. That crowd that is crying and saying to him, you are the one who said you can build, destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days if you are the Son of God. Come down from that cross. And this man, he joins in. Because if you read with me in Matthew and in Mark, we actually told that they joined in. So if you have your Bible with you, just turn to Mark and chapter 15. And if you read with me from verse 31, it says, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, 
He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Now listen to that last statement. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And that's exactly the report that we also find in Matthew and chapter 27. In Matthew and chapter 27. Let's read from verse 43. And here is the mock. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So here is a man who's been convicted as a criminal after the due process of the law. He has been sentenced to death and he is here and only a few hours before he expires and he joins in with that crowd that is mocking, that is insulting the Son of God. But the second thing that is interesting about this man is that he, he was introduced to the Lord Jesus in probably the most terrible light in which a person can be introduced to the Savior. He was introduced to Jesus in the context of mocking, in the context of taunting, in the context of demeaning him and looking down on him and speaking ill of him. That is the context in which he really, if you can call it coherent, he had a coherent insult about the savior of sinners. It is possible during the days of his flesh, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was preaching, he probably may have been part and parcel of that crowd that was listening. We are not told that, but we can assume that because he was a Jew and that the Lord Jesus Christ had been going from place to place, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. In fact, there are Moments in, in, in gospel history, we are told, everyone who was there was healed. And all these reports may have reached this man during his storied career as a highwayman. But in this instance, he is being introduced to Jesus by the enemies of Jesus. 
he is being introduced to Christ by those who did not mean well, who hated the Savior. That is the information that he received. So although they were insulting him, they did say things that were true about Jesus. He said he healed others. This man says, oh, really? He did heal? He healed other people? Surely he can heal me or us. He was being informed regardless of the fact that the crowd that was speaking of these things did not mean well. That he healed the sick. He saved others. Those were true things that the Lord Jesus Christ did. But thirdly, there is something very interesting about this man. Not only was he only had a few hours to live at most. Not only was it that he was listening to, G, to, to those who were speaking of Christ in a very unfortunate way, in a negative way, but he was in pain. Now, you know how oftentimes when we are well, uh, it is easy to believe that God can heal me. It is more difficult to believe that the Lord is going to, if you are in actual pain, and as you pray and just kneel down to pray, the pain is there. And that's what's remarkable about this man. Here he is, just a few hours before he expires, and there is a group of people mocking the Savior. And he, together with his comrade, have joined in in that moment to express their rage and to mock. They are really taking it out on Jesus. And in that context of pain, where it is difficult to have faith in God, to have faith in a good God, this man by the grace of God, did finally turn to the Savior and looked to him and trusted in him. Not only notice that he was in pain, so it was difficult for him to focus his attention on God, to focus his attention on the Savior, but also the one who is called the Savior, here he is, dying in weakness, dying in pain. I mean, if you met the Lord Jesus Christ when he was healing people, and then you were asked to believe in him, I mean, it's so much easier because you can see the power that he is exerting. The, the diseases are being expelled, you remember that one story when the Bible says he went into P 
Peter's house and he found Peter's mother-in-law was sick and the Bible says he laid his hand on her and expelled the fever and she began to serve them. Now in that instance, if you are told you must believe in the Savior, you can see how much easier it is because you can see what he is doing. But here is the Savior. Dying in utter weakness. Racked with pain. Having been receiving the lash of the, 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 the Romans which had lacerated his skin. He was bleeding. Almost dying. And he is willing to believe this is the savior of sinners. Not only is he dying in weakness and in pain, this man comes at the eleventh hour. Like if you are sick and you're going to see the doctor and you arrive at the doctor's office just as he is leaving. I've closed the office. My staff is gone. Come tomorrow. Then we can talk about your illness. This is how this man came. He came at the wrong hour. At the eleventh hour. At the hour when the Savior is dying in agony. And even then, he does not tell him, my friend, it is too late. Where were you even yesterday? I could have solved your problem. Not today. Right there, the Son of God, the Son of God was pleased. Tend to him, the Bible says, and gave him that assurance. I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. How amazing is the grace of God. Here is a sudden and unexpected conversion of a guilty and dying thief. Here is one who has no religious life to look back to. You know, he's not like, you know, I, 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 I have been in the synagogues, you see. I, I have been going to church all my life. You know my family. He hasn't got that background. In fact, there's no background to talk about because his background got him to the cross. He is a criminal. And he admits freely. He admits. In fact, he turns to his friend and reasons with his friend and says, look, 
I think you need to change your mind about this. We deserve to be here. But this man is innocent. This man is sinless. This man is a good man whom they are killing. I am not going to take part in this anymore. And he turns to Jesus. Best way he knew how to pray. Jesus, remember me. I have nothing to offer you except my sin, except my guilt. Please, for your own name's sake, remember me. That's so why we sing that hymn by William Cowper. The dying thief. Rejoice to see that fountain in his day. He saw the kind of Messiah that God sent. He did not send a Messiah who was coming to rescue the Jews from Roman oppression. No, 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 no. God sent a suffering Messiah. God sent a suffering savior. God sent a savior who was concerned about our spiritual need more than our physical needs. That is why in that moment God's grace working in his mind he can see exactly what's happening. This is the Messiah sent from God, the suffering Messiah, the one who has come because we are criminals. We can't help it. We are born sinners. And as we live in this world, as we grow up in this world, we only increase our sinfulness because by nature we are sinners. Not just the fact that we are sinners because of the imputation of Adam's sin, which is true, but we are also sinners in practice. We sin against God in our thoughts. We sin against God in our desires, in our words, in our behavior. We sin against him in so many ways, many of which we don't even realize. And we needed a savior who is coming to deal with the question of our sinfulness before God. That is why he is hanging on that cross. Although the dying thief and his comrade are raging in anger against the world, against God, 
against the Christ. Here is the Lamb of God. He is calm. And he finds it in his heart to pray for his enemies and to ask the Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. He is calm. He is not angry. He is not raging. He submits himself completely to the will of the Father. And that is what, by God's grace, the dying thief begins to see. He begins to see the salvation of God that comes to guilty sinners like himself comes through the suffering Messiah, the suffering Savior. And that is why he turns to him. That is why he looks to him. That is why he trusts his entire life to this one who is dying on the cross but he recognizes in the hands of this man here is the destiny of all the souls of men and women in this world. And he pleads with him for mercy, for pardon, and for acceptance. Jesus turns to him. Jesus looks and reassures him, you will be with me in paradise. My friends, this dying thief is one who reminds us again what the gospel of the grace of God is all about. The gospel of Jesus comes to you to find you wherever you are, whatever you have done. There is hope for you. There is cleansing for the foulest sinner Fanny J. Crosby, who has taught us that hymn, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And this is what God, in His amazing grace, is displaying before our very eyes. This is why He came. He came to seek and save guilty sinners. That's why he came. Here is a man who has nothing in his background to recommend him to God. He has absolutely nothing he can look back to and say, you know, please save me. I used to give him the church. He has nothing to give... 
please save me, my dad and my folks at home. They taught me the law of God. Because he rebelled against it. And chose a life of rebellion. Absolutely nothing to recommend him to God. But Dr. Jesus is going to save him. And heal him. Because that is why he came. Have you ever heard of a man who is sick, but he doesn't want to go and see the doctor? That's why doctors are there. It's for people like you. So that you can go there, and then they will be able to exercise their craft on you and heal you. And that is why King Jesus came. He came for sinners like you. If you will bring your sin to him, he is going to cleanse you, just like he did the dying thief. He is going to cleanse you, just like he did the dying thief, and make you a trophy of his amazing So here is a man who is in pain. Here is a man who is hearing the, the most unfortunate messages about Jesus. Despite those messages, God in grace is pleased to draw him at the 11th hour of his life. And he pardoned, forgiven, and welcomed into the kingdom of God. Now, I hope the devil is not preaching to you while I'm preaching here. I hope you're not beginning to think, well, if that's what God does, then I must just as well go ahead and live my life and then at the eleventh hour of my life, I'm going to turn to the Lord and be saved. I hope you don't believe that. Because there were two criminals here. And only one is rescued by the grace of God. And the story is written in such a way as to warn us that we do not begin to presume upon the kindness and the goodness of God. God is merciful and suffering, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, there is such a thing as you ignoring the grace of God to your own doom. We have the story of Judas. Here is one who was an apostle. He was preaching with Jesus 
and he had been given power to heal and to cast out demons. Despite all of that, at the end of the day, he dies and he goes to hell. Despite the association, despite being close, physically speaking, to the Lord Jesus, he dies. He regrets. He is sad. He recognizes he has done wrong. But he does not repent. He dies and he goes to hell. Don't be like Judas. Don't be like the other criminal. Remember, despite Judas and the other criminal, here is the message. God is merciful and gracious and kind. He has created a way in which guilty sinners like you and me can be saved. And millions across the running centuries of history have been saved. Unexpected. Suddenly, God has reached down to them and rescued them. There have been men who have spent perhaps almost their entire lives in church and died and go to hell. So we see both here the loving kindness, the patience, the goodness of God. But at the same time we see the justice of God. Are you going to be like the dying Who's going to see in the suffering Messiah the only remedy for your own sinfulness? Or like Judas, you will persist in your unbelief, persist in your own sinfulness, persist following the course of your own sinful desires with a veneer of religiosity on top of it. And at the end of the day, blood will be upon your own head for your own damnation. Because God's grace continues to be displayed right before you every single day. Here you are. I do not want to presume on the grace of God, but I can 
best guess you're going to be here perhaps more than a few hours. This man, his life was marked by moments. It's just a few moments and he is going to expire. And in those moments, Dr. Jesus performs this outstanding miracle. While he's at his weakest, while he himself is racked with pain, in that moment, he saves a sinner just like you, just like me. That's the good news. Greatest good news the world has ever had. There is a good God. He has a plan to save sinners. He has executed that plan in the <coughs> suffering, in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Even now, he is ascended to the right hand of God on high, and he ever lives to make intercession for the people of God. And even before Peter fell by denying him three times, he assured him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The Son of God had already foreseen the failure of Peter. And he made provision. He interceded for him. And Peter was preserved. Not because he was repentant, which was important, he was, but because the intercession of Christ prevailed for Peter. God is rich in mercy. God is merciful and gracious, but he is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is the good news of Easter. We have a glorious Savior and he saves gloriously all those who come to God through him. Let me come to an end. Have you, like the dying sinner, have you been able to see the kind of savior Jesus is? You know, there are some people who don't like the gospel because it, it, it doesn't speak to their immediate physical needs. You know, if Jesus is real, what does he think about justice in this world? So they stumble because they are looking for a Jesus who is coming to right the wrongs that perhaps they have suffered too long in this world. And yes, 
he will write them. But he writes them in a very interesting way. But you must come to him as the suffering savior. As the one who went to the cross and suffered and bled and died. And he did that. Not just because there is injustice in this world, but because we have sinned against God. So he comes to appease the wrath of God against our sin. He takes upon himself that full punishment of our apostasy and rebellion against God. He takes it upon himself and he suffers and he dies. That is the way in which God rights the wrong in this world. That sinners, they can see him for who he is. Great God-man. And yet, at the same time, the suffering Messiah. And he comes to rescue men and women as they believe in him as the suffering Messiah. And so I ask this morning, what is your view of Jesus? Are you looking at Jesus as the one who first of all must wrong, must right all the wrongs in this world before you can believe in him? If you think of him like that, you will die and go to hell. Because the Jesus of the Bible is a suffering Messiah. You know what's interesting is that even God's people sometimes have stumbled on this point. You remember John the Baptist? He was in jail, suffering injustice at the hands of Herod and his wife. And he was wondering why, if this isn't the Messiah, why is he not coming to rescue me? So he sends his disciples. Go and ask him the question. Are you the one? Or should we wait for another? And the Lord Jesus Christ did not engage in a debate. He just told the messengers from John, go and tell John, what you see, what you hear. The dead are raised, the lame are healed, the blind see, and blessed is the man who does not take offense at the Son of God. In other words, he is telling John, I am the one but not in exactly the way you are expecting. I'm not going to come and rescue you from Herod and his wife. In fact, shortly after that, John gets beheaded in prison. And the Lord Jesus goes on to complete his mission as the suffering Savior. That is his mission. He comes, first of all, 
to die on the cross in order to deal with the question of our rebellion against God, our sin against God. It is such a serious offense that he had to die. Perhaps we don't think that sin is such a serious matter. Well, God is not like us. He thinks that sin is such a serious offense. The only way in which he can forgive it is if his own son goes to the cross and suffers and bleeds and dies. That is how serious sin is. If you want to know how serious your lie is, don't look at the lie or its consequences. Look at Calvary's cross and see the groans of the Son of God. That is how serious sin is. And that is the only way in which you and I obtain forgiveness and acceptance with God just like the dying thief. Let's pray together. Our Father, we 